read this story written by a pastor earlier this week. He says, a few years ago, I received a phone call at my desk. A girl in the college group at church called to say that her car had broken down and she was stranded just a couple of miles from the office. And so I drove over to the location and found her leaning against her car, looking rather flustered. I leaned against the car next to her and asked, what happened? Well, I was just driving down the road and it quit running, she said. So I I pulled off to the shoulder. You think you could be out of gas, I asked. No, no, I just filled it up. Well, that one question pretty well exhausted my automotive diagnostic abilities, but, but I persisted. Well, what happened? Did it make any noises? Oh, yeah, she replied. As I was driving down the hill, it went brump, 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 pow. In an effort to be an active listener, I reflected that back to her. So you say the car went brump, 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 pow. Yep, that's exactly what it did. Well, I was feeling a little more confident, so I asked Well, when was the last time you changed the oil? She gave me a quizzical look and said, Oil? As it turned out, she had owned the car for a year and a half and had never changed the oil. Now his point, (laughs) only in some cars is it a problem, Jill. His point in telling the story was to say this, He said, I get the same look when I ask frazzled friends, when was the last time you took a Sabbath rest? Mm. And that, my friends, is an excellent question. When was the last time you took a Sabbath rest? When is the last time I took one? Come to think of it, what the heck is a Sabbath rest? I was with a friend last night who was describing for me his yearly retreat to a monastery. And he talked about being there with these Benedictine monks who spend all of their days in silence. And he said, you know, He said, for about the first three days, I think I'm going to lose my mind. I thought, three days? (laughs) Give me three minutes. You know, maybe 30 minutes. Sabbath rest, the concept of being purposefully, intentionally with God, calls our attention to the fourth commandment this morning. We are studying the ten, and we have seen the first three. No other gods, no idols, no misusing the name of the Lord. And we have made a note from the beginning of this series, and I hope you remember this, that that these commandments, because we live in an age and a culture and there's something in us that sort of pushes back against commandments, regulations, laws, exhortations. Who are you to tell me how I should live? Sort of a, none of you ever experiences that. I guess it's probably just me. But there is something at least in me and maybe in you that can relate to that sense of pushback against certain laws. And we've said from the beginning that because God is our creator, 
there is a fabric that is woven into each of us that by default will only find satisfaction when we are properly, intimately related to the one who made us. Because he made us for him. For no other purpose than for him that we might know him, that we might live with him, that we might enjoy him, that we might explore that we might find out, as we've sung about, that the depths of His loving kindness, the mysteries of His grace, that is why He created us. And there is something in our fallen condition that wants to do it on our own. We go looking for satisfaction in places that will never satisfy. And so God gave these commandments to his people. And as we've clearly said again from the beginning of the series, not as a source of salvation. There is no one that is saved by keeping the Ten Commandments because no one does. We are saved by Jesus. The Ten Commandments become an opportunity for us to show the condition of our hearts and live in a way that expresses gratitude and thanksgiving. And, this is really important, puts us in a place of receiving the blessings of God. How many of you want to receive the blessings of God? That's not a bad thing. But we don't get to name them. God does. One thing we can be sure of is that when we live in obedience to the life that he has called us to live, and ironically, that is the life that we were created to live, when we live that way, there is blessing. There is blessing that comes from him because we are living according to the design that we were made for. And we tend to think in terms of material blessings, I would suggest to you that the greatest blessing is that sense of it is well with my soul. When everything is well with my soul, then I'm not desperately searching for other things to satisfy because the deepest part of me has been met by the one who has created me. And so we have said all along that these commandments are about grace. They flow from the heart of God to his people. We hear those words, Thou shalt not. And immediately our, our, our feathers kind of ruffle. Well, why not? Thou shalt not. Well, well, how come? So we've talked about the importance of understanding that, that God is God. You know, when he spoke into the lives of his people for the first time in Exodus revealing his character and and his commands. He was speaking to a people who had lived for 400 years in Egypt, surrounded by a pantheon of all kinds of gods. And his intent was to say to them, for many years you've been looking for satisfaction. That stuff back there in Egypt, doesn't do it. Here's where life is. There are no other gods. I am. 
No other idols. Those things that, that we tend to kind of hang on to just, just in case there's a rainy day, just in case that, that God should forget his promises, just because they bring us a little comfort, a little satisfaction. We just kind of hang on to those, those idols. And, and we're smart enough to know that, that something made out of rocks or stones, you know, wood, metal, how dumb is that, you know? We're not dumb enough to worship those kinds of things. We worship other things. Other things that, that are more sophisticated, perhaps, more in keeping with the times and, and our culture. Have you ever thought about the title of that TV show, America's Idols? American Idol? Enough. Enough said. Okay. Okay. So this morning, I want to invite you. We're going to stand and we're going to read the Ten Commandments or, or down through where we're at together. But, but this morning's reading, we're taking it from Deuteronomy. You, you might remember that, that, that I'd said when we started that the Ten Commandments are recorded twice. Exodus chapter 20, they haven't been out of Egypt very long. Deuteronomy chapter 5, they've been out of Egypt 40 years, wandering around the wilderness again and again and again. Finally ready by God's design to cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And, and we're going to read from Deuteronomy's account. Uh, they're very, very similar, but they're just a couple of what I think are easily overlooked lines in this, this account from Deuteronomy chapter 5 that I want you to hear. So let's stand and read together, shall we? Here we go together. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents, the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Go ahead and be seated, please. (laughs) Now, you read this. Did you listen to what you read? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The, the, the rationale there goes like this. First, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Then, the Lord your God brought you out of there. Incredible stuff that he did to deliver you from Egypt. Therefore, as a result of what he did and who you were, he's commanded you to observe the Sabbath. The Exodus account of the Ten Commandments doesn't include these words about remember that you were slaves in Egypt. What we find in in the Exodus account is the Genesis creation pattern that God worked for six days and rested on the seventh, therefore his people are to do likewise. And, and, and we've, we've picked up a bit of that in this text as well. The Hebrew word Shabbat, that's the word that we get the word Sabbath from, means to cease. To cease. On the seventh day, God ceased from his labors. This is the basis of the Sabbath commandment. And it's probably the truth that that most prominently informs our understanding and our practice, if we practice, keeping the Sabbath separate. Which is what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. Holy means separate, different from. So, the basis that we most often hear and understand the idea of Sabbath is from the idea that God ceased from his labors. And if you were to go back and read in the Genesis account, the end of chapter 1, first part of chapter 2, the writer of Genesis repeats that. Two or three times there is an emphasis there upon God resting. On the seventh day, the writer tells us that God neither spoke nor worked. He rested from his labors. So we know what God did not do on the seventh day. What I want you to do is turn to your neighbor and ask that neighbor, so what did God do on the seventh day? Go ahead. John. (laughs) Okay, we know what he didn't do. According to the writer of Genesis, what did he do? Go ahead. It's speculation. Just think on it for a moment. Okay, you're you're exhausted, right? (laughs) What do you think? Sheer speculation, I know. But what do you think? Enjoyed fellowship with Adam and Eve. Okay. I'll buy that. What else? The last part was what? A hammock was involved. <laughs> We're not going to identify the neighbor. There's, there's a couple of yeah, possibilities. Communion among the... Tr- Ooh, that's heavy. Whew. 
She is like that. Communion among the Trinity. Okay. What else? Okay. Join the praise of his creation, we might say. Uh, Which is not out of the question. He preached. There was a Sunday school teacher who once asked her preschool class about the story of creation. What did God do on the seventh day? One of them raised her hand and said, I think he mowed the yard. (laughs) And of course, as you all know, we have no idea what God did. But but I do have a bit of a theory, and I know that that comes as no surprise to any of you. But you've expressed it, some of you. Rooted in the nature and the being of God is a completeness and a wholeness that needs nothing else but God's self, God's being. God is complete. You know, we've, we've said many times we, we need to be cautious about what we build into the creation account that somehow God was lonely and therefore he created people, not Somehow God was lacking something in his existence and therefore he needed humanity. Not. God is, is complete. He is thorough in, in his being, lacking nothing. And, and I think that there is a sense when the writer of Genesis says, and I think it's the first verse of chapter 2, that, that God blessed that day. And, and thus it was holy because God blessed it. There was, as many of you have said, that very real sense of God enjoying his creation. The enjoyment of himself and the enjoyment of what he has, has just spoken into existence. His pleasure. God blesses what he's pleased with. I, I kind of have this image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit just kind of high-fiving one another about the incredible creation that is, is now before them. And I know it's only speculation, but I think if we, if we put these two Ten Commandment accounts together, we have a clue of what the Sabbath rest is really about. In the same way that God according to the writer of the commandments, ceased. God ceased from what he was doing to bless his work and to rejoice in himself. There was nothing wrong with his work. And did God really cease from work? I, we, you know, we could we would play with that one until the cows come home because God is, is always active and always creative The message is there for us to hear there was a ceasing of activity, at least from a human perspective, so that he could bless his work. And I think enjoy the creation that he has made. And he wants his people to cease from their labor, whatever that might be, and to give time for dedicated, purposeful enjoyment of him rejoicing in who he is rejoicing in his good work and then this is where i would lay the deuteronomy account on top of it i would say rejoicing because we remember that we at one time were slaves we were in bondage to slavery do you see how how that idea could inform our understanding and our, our celebration of Sabbath rest, 
It is a seeking, uh, excuse me, it's a ceasing of regular weekly activity, which I think could be argued we become slaves to in our culture for the purpose of intentional focus upon the God who has rescued us. It's interesting to me that Paul in Romans 7, as he's talking about the the wrestling that he does between the fact that, that he has a sinful heart and yet as a follower of Christ he has been filled with the Holy Spirit. There is this, this struggle back and forth. And, and he says, who is it that can rescue me from this miserable life of being a slave to sin? And it's almost like he has, oh yeah, God has already done that for me in Christ Jesus. I have been rescued from slavery to sin through Christ. That's Paul's expression, and that can be our expression as the people of God. And I think this very simple definition of, of what the Sabbath rest is, can, I think it can lead us to a wonderful life-giving freedom, which is where I want us to go, or it can lead us to a new form of slavery. And... That has happened often over the ages in the life of the church. Ancient writings suggest to us that by the first century, when Jesus came on the scene, first century Palestine, the Sabbath had become the basis for some pretty crazy legalism in terms of what it meant to observe the Sabbath day. Lee's reflecting on some of his heritage here, and and, and he knows, yeah, that's true. Um, in order to keep the Sabbath holy, to make it a different day from other days, there were 39 categories of work that had been developed that addressed what exactly was work on the Sabbath. One category prohibited the carrying of certain things that were referred to as burdens. Certain things that would constitute a form of work. Anything that was equal to or heavier than a dried fig, was declared a burden. So it was permissible to carry half a fig on the Sabbath. Unless, of course, you forgot, put it down, and picked it back up again, because then that would double its weight, equaling a whole fig, and that was a breaking of the Sabbath law. Fortunately, you parents, you were permitted to pick up your young child on the Sabbath, But first, you had to examine their hands to make sure that they weren't holding on to anything because that would constitute lifting a burden. And if you had false teeth in those days, and they did exist, they did exist, they were not permitted on the Sabbath because they might fall out. And the person to whom they belonged to might be tempted to pick them up. And yes, that would constitute a breaking of the Sabbath law. Lifting a burden. Now the category had to do with personal hygiene. Ladies, you were forbidden to look into a mirror because you might see gray hair and be tempted to pluck it out. (laughs) Not on the Sabbath. Men, you'll be happy to know that you could still spit on the Sabbath day. However, only into your hand or into the rocks. You see, it was unlawful to spit on the ground because you might inadvertently scuff your spit and the dirt with your sandal, and that would constitute plowing and cultivating the earth. (laughs) And that, of course, was a no-no on the Sabbath. 
These were real. Did we not say early on in this series that these commandments were to be a source of life and vitality and freedom? Ultimately, gifts of grace from God seems to me that that this kind of Sabbath minutia kind of turns into an example of what Jesus meant when he accused the Pharisees of straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Yes. Yep. It prepared the day before and so that there was no cooking, no work in the kitchen. Important reminder of Jesus' words when he accused when he was accused of breaking the Sabbath rest, that the Sabbath was made for people and not the other way around. We weren't made for the Sabbath. It was made for us. And so the question is, what are we to make of the Sabbath rest today in our culture? You might be relieved to know that that I do not have a list of do's and don'ts for you, approved and unapproved activities for the Sabbath. I mean, I have a list. If you're interested, I'll email it to you. But I'm not going to share that to you this morning. And, and my approach this morning is really very simple. In fact, I'm, I'm almost fearful that it's too simple. But I, I, think, I think because we so desperately misunderstand the intention of the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest, that simple is, is the way to go in terms of a starting point. It's so interesting that the Scripture is strangely silent on the particulars of the Sabbath. Strangely silent. That means that we, I think, are left to figure out by intentional communion with God and a desire to listen to His Spirit. What does that mean for me and for my family? Again, this is a gift of life. So I just have three Three very simple suggestions this morning for your personal consideration on this, this fourth commandment. And, and I'm here to tell you this as a serial Sabbath breaker. I am. There is no Sabbath rest in my life. At least, I don't think there's the kind of Sabbath rest that, that counts in terms of what God intended for it to be life-giving in my relationship with Him. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm not being funny when I say serial Sabbath breaker. I do not ever remember in my life as a follower of Christ, and that's been over 30 years now, ever being intentional about honoring this commandment. I, there'd, there'd be times when I was concerned about it, I don't know if Doug remembers this. Teresa and I have talked about it. The Sabbath day at Wheaton College, the tennis courts were closed. That used to just fire me up. (laughs) Because that was deemed by those in authority as an activity that was inappropriate for the Sabbath. I always felt like what they ought to do is lock up my textbooks and let me go play tennis. (laughs) Because that's often what we ended up doing can't go play tennis on a nice day. Oh, well, I got to study anyway. I got an exam on Monday or Tuesday. I've wrestled at times 
with what is a Sabbath rest, and I've been disgruntled at those who think differently. But the truth is, I'm all over the other nine. As you are, I'm sure. I mean, anybody in here think that murder is just a little thing? You know? Lying, stealing, adultery, just petty little things? No, we don't think that. But the Sabbath, well, just doesn't strike us as applicable or, or important, let's be honest. So here's my first suggestion. Simple as it can be. Don't laugh. Admit that a Sabbath rest is important. Just admit it. Because it is. God gave it along with the other nine. It's part of the Decalogue. It always has been, and it always will be. To deny its importance, to deny its significance, is a sin. In the same way that a denial of any of the other nine commandments is a sin. And as God's people, you know, we know, that we're to be concerned with sin, right? It's an offense to him who saved us if we are willing to overlook something that he has given us for our good. And I think it also shows a lack of understanding in our hearts of what it is that is really life-giving. So, I think the first suggestion that I have is that we must admit that the Sabbath is important, that the Sabbath rest is a concept that God never intended for the church to delete from the list and to affirm the importance of it and to recognize that we live in a church culture that really does not give a whole lot of credit to it. It is is a rest from work. That's what scripture tells us. God ceased his labor. Exodus and Deuteronomy both say, six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest from your labors, from your work. It gets challenging when we think in terms of our labor as our daily routines. But there is a sense in which we have to find a place in our lives for rest from those as well. And I'm just not sure at the risk of sounding legalistic that going to bed at night and falling asleep is the rest that God has in mind when he talks about the Sabbath. Is there an intentional giving of ourselves to a a different activity that could lead us to a better appreciation and understanding and celebration of Sabbath rest 
one of the pastors that I enjoy reading is Peter Scalero. He's a pastor in New York City. And, and he talks about how it's not possible for pastors to keep a Sabbath in the sense of the Lord's Day. You know, you look at the history and life of the church, the writing of the early fathers. Um, one commentator says it's almost as if throughout the, the first three or four centuries of the church, it's almost as if the, the Sabbath doesn't exist in the Ten Commandments. There's, there's very little attention that is given to it. There has been a shift in thinking during those times and, and into our time as well that the Sabbath is replaced by the Lord's Day. That it is no longer a, a Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, but it is, it is the Lord's Day, the day of, day of resurrection. The day that we, are, we see in Scripture where from time to time, you know, folks are gathering together on the Lord's Day. Uh, there are writings from some of the, the early fathers that, that exhorted believers to gather together, to break bread, to take the Eucharist, to celebrate and to pray and to worship on the Lord's Day. I am not certain. No, I am. I'm pretty certain that the day doesn't matter. It is the principle of Sabbath rest that does matter. Are we, are we striving to find that in our lives? Secondly, second suggestion, after we admit that, that the Sabbath rest is important, I think a second suggestion is that, that we, we must recognize that the Sabbath rest is, first of all, about God. Now, it almost sounds like a contradiction to what I said a moment ago when I quoted the words of Jesus, that the Sabbath was, was made for people, not the other way around. But the one who initiates the Sabbath idea and then exhorts his people to follow the Sabbath is God. And so the Sabbath rest is first of all about God in that it is his idea. And that it, it's important because a whole lot of our lives are lived without much direct attention or, or dialogue with him, about him. We have said time and time again at, at Applewood, said it again this morning, that, that God has created us with an ultimate need for Him, that created design. And our willingness to recognize and affirm the Sabbath rest in our lives is an admission that we are His and that life is ultimately about Him. We need to be honest. For most of us, life is full and it's insanely busy. And a good deal of that activity is, is often about us, involving us. And we, I need to be careful in how I say this, but, but we, we pin our hopes about Sabbath rest on perhaps what it is that we're doing here on a Sunday morning. And this is good, but I would suggest that this is not enough in terms of what God had in mind for his people in a Sabbath rest. Because we're done with this in about an hour and a quarter, and then we are off, many of us, to our busy lives. New York Times article, June of this last year, called The Busy Trap, says if you live in America in the 21st century, you've probably had to listen to a lot of people tell you how busy they are. It's become the default response when you ask anyone how they're doing, 
Busy, so busy, crazy busy. It is pretty obviously a boast disguised as a complaint. And the stock response is a kind of congratulation. That's a good problem to have, we say. Or, better than the opposite, maybe not. See, busyness serves as a kind of hedge against emptiness, the author goes on to say. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. We're busy because of our own ambition, our drive for our anxiety, because we're addicted to busyness and dread what we might have to face in its absence. How do we find the time for Sabbath rest? And that's the point, I think, of the Sabbath rest. In the midst of busyness, is there time that we have set aside because we understand that it is important, because we understand that it is life-giving, that we understand it is something that God wants for us and from us. And I'm intrigued that the Sabbath commandment stands as sort of the, well, it stands as the last of the first four commandments, which have to do with our relationship with God. And it's sort of this bridge between those first four and the last six, which are all about our relationships with people. And I find myself wondering if, if that isn't a part of the intent of the Sabbath. We just take them in sort of this chronological order. We are first and foremost consumed with our life with God. And the Sabbath gives us time to pause and reflect and to think again about who He is and what He's called us to and who we are. And it's that position then that allows us to turn and to look outward at our lives and the relationships in our lives, spouse and children and neighbors and, and schoolmates and fellow employees that, that consume us and keep us busy. We affirm that there is only one God to be worshipped. <clears throat> We're serious about not giving ourselves to false gods, idols, We're concerned about living our lives in such a way that God's name, as we said last week, is never taken lightly in our language or by the way that we live. The fourth commandment, I think, is a commitment to affirm all of those things thus far that we have studied by setting aside a time when our focus is Him and only Him life-giving. And I'm really not sure how to do this. Because as you recall, I'm a serial Sabbath breaker. I don't know what this is about, but I firmly believe that it's important. And I firmly want to find this rhythm in my life. And that would be my third suggestion for you as well. Establish a regular rhythm. Because doing so, I think, makes it a priority. And makes a statement about your seriousness about doing what God has called you to. We make time for what is important, do we not? Sabbath rest is ultimately about enjoying God, celebrating what he has done for you, setting you free from slavery to sin. Doing this on a certain day or even just a part of that day, an hour of a day during the week, 
intentionally, purposefully, not allowing the daily tasks and the responsibilities of the other six days to rule our lives. It's kind of like the oil in that young woman's car. After a year and a half, it needed changing. I wonder about our lives. Is it time for us to take a closer look at the activity and the focus of our lives and to consider changing the oil and adding intentionality about Sabbath and rest and remembering and celebrating God in that. Praise team, why don't you come on up <clears throat> lead us as we prepare this morning. I close with this story I read about uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, <clears throat> yeah, a great architect. He, uh, he once told of this incident that seemed maybe insignificant at the time, but, but as he looked back on it, he realized it had a profound influence. It was the winter that he was nine years old, and he went walking across a snow-covered field with his reserve, no-nonsense uncle. And as the two of them reached the far end of the field, his uncle stopped him and pointed out his own tracks in the snow. They were straight as an arrow. And then he pointed out young Frank's tracks, which meandered all over the field. Notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle to the woods and back again, his uncle said. And see how my tracks aim directly to my goal. There is an important lesson in that. Years later, Wright liked to tell how this experience greatly contributed to his philosophy of life. He said, I determined right then, or at least shortly thereafter, with a twinkle in his eye, he said, not to miss most of the things in life that my uncle had. <laughs> my brothers and sisters, I think commitment to Sabbath rest is a way of not missing, in large part, what God has created us for. Fellowship, intimacy, enjoyment, love relationship with Him that is found nowhere.